On tonight's resistance report, we look at Donald Trump, what he is saying about shitholes, about his racist current state of mind, but also his racist past, what all this means for Republicans, whether Republicans are going to stand up to this, uh, why they haven't so far. We're going to be looking at average working people and how the Trump economy and Donald Trump's policies have already affected them. And we'll also finally be taking a look at what you, what you can do and have to do over the next 10 months on tonight's Resistance Report. It's the Resistance Report for January 15th, 2018, where we give you the big picture. Tonight, Trump's racism, the possible government shutdown, what impact Trump's tax cuts are having on the economy, and the evangelical community's response to Trump's trysts. Okay, let's get to it. Trump declared last night he is not a racist. No, no, I'm not a racist. I am the least racist person you have ever interviewed. That I can tell you. There's controversy over what Trump actually said in the Oval Office last week while discussing immigration. He is now calling Illinois Senator Dick Durbin a liar and taunting Durbin on Twitter. But there's no question Trump used a vulgar epithet having to do with holes. Now, you've got to understand there are different kinds of holes, and maybe that's part of the controversy. There is something called a keyhole, uh, uh, but that's probably not what Donald Trump was talking about, I don't believe. There's also uh, here a, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's say this is a rabbit hole. Uh, he sort of got himself into a rabbit hole. Uh, but I don't think that the rabbit hole is something that uh, Trump was talking about. Uh, there is also a, uh, there's a golf hole. There's a golf hole. Uh, now, I know Trump loves golf, and, uh, but I don't think that is the issue either. Um, the issue uh, seems to center on uh, something very different. Uh, and uh, here is Donald Trump. And uh, he is in a different kind of hole. Uh, well, that's what he is alleged to have talked about. Uh, but somebody who, when they're in a hole, who digs deeper and keeps on digging themselves deeper uh, is also consider, uh, considered sometimes to be uh, this kind of hole. But we don't have to get too more deeply into the hole uh, taxonomy. Uh, the point is that Trump's shithole remark came only weeks after the New York Times reported that at another Oval Office meeting, Trump said Haitian immigrants all have AIDS and that Nigerians who visit the United States would never go back to their huts. Listen, of course he is a racist. He built his political career on the racist lie that Barack Obama was born in Africa. Trump launched his presidential campaign with racist comments about Mexican immigrants. Trump saw fine people on both sides 
in the Charlottesville March of White Supremacists, and he attacked African-American football players for being unpatriotic because they kneeled during the national anthem to protest police abuse. This is the same man who in, eight, in 1989 he took out full-page ads in New York newspapers demanding the return of the death penalty so it could be applied to five black and Latino teenagers accused of raping a white woman in Central Park. Five teenagers who were found not guilty by DNA evidence. And yet Trump still, to this day, refuses to admit his error. You've got to understand, Trump's racism is part of his corrosive strategy to consolidate his power. Racism has been used by demagogues throughout history to build their base of support by fueling hate of others inside a country and without. And that is Donald Trump's M.O. You, you might think that maybe today, on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, a federal holiday, Trump would do what every other president in recent memory has done and participate in some public event honoring Martin Luther King. But no. Trump spent the day at his Trump International Golf Club in West Palm Beach. In fact, he and Melania flew down there from Washington this morning and they're flying back to Washington at the end of the day on taxpayer expense, of course. It's the 95th day Trump has spent at one of his golf holes, one of his golf courses, I should say, since becoming president, and he hasn't even been president in a year. He's golfing almost a third of the time. Here, by the way, is how Trump used to talk about golf. Because I'm going to be working for you. I'm not going to have time to go play golf, and believe me. I love golf. I think it's one of the greats, but I don't have time. 250 rounds, that's more than a guy who plays on the PGA Tour plays. Obama ought to get off the golf course and get down there. Everything's executive order, because he doesn't have enough time, because he's playing so much golf, he doesn't have enough time to convince Congress to do it. So I have the greatest stuff, but you know what? And I love golf, but if I were in the White House, I don't think I'd ever see Turnberry again. I just want to stay in the White House and work my ass off. Meanwhile, uh, Trump is still insisting that Congress appropriate $18 billion for the first phase of his wall along the U.S.-Mexican border. $18 billion. Now, as one of the conditions for extending the work permits of 800,000 young people who came to the United States as children, he wants this wall. If there's no deal, the government will shut down next Saturday. Now this is truly nuts. The U.S.-Mexican border is already well defended and a wall is not going to improve the defenses. The United States already spends $3.7 billion a year. to keep some 21,000 Border Patrol agents on guard. And it spends, we spend, another 23, 3.2 billion for 23,000 inspectors at ports of entry along the border. 
So there is a huge amount of expenditure going on, a, a third of which is already walled or fenced off already that border. There is absolutely no reason to spend more because undocumented migration from Mexico has sharply declined. The Department of Homeland Security has vouched for this. They estimate that the total undocumented population peaked at 12 million in 2008 and has fallen since then. According to the Pew Research Center, the overall flow of Mexican immigrants between the two countries is at its smallest since the 1990s. Besides, there is little or no evidence that undocumented immigrants take jobs away from native-born Americans anyway. They take very different jobs than Americans, people born in the United States. In fact, the United States already allows a significant amount of legal immigration from Mexico under the guest worker program. 1.6 million entries by legal immigrants and 3.9 million by temporary workers from Mexico over the last 10 years. Because, you see, farmers can't find enough native-born Americans to pick crops, and that's just a small percentage of the kind of jobs that a lot of native-born Americans don't want. And don't we have better uses, far better uses, for the $18 billion that Trump wants to spend on this wall? $18 billion. It could extend the Children's Health Insurance Program for five years. $18 billion. It could find permanent housing for the roughly 565,000 homeless Americans. Eighteen thousand. It could rebuild Puerto Rico's entire power system. Oh, and that $18 billion that Trump plans to spend on his wall, that's just the first phase of construction. Which gets us to the entire economy, the U.S. economy. Now, Trump and his Republican enablers keep saying the economy is better because of Trump. And that is, my friends, utter baloney. Yes, the corporate tax cut has caused a huge stock market rally in anticipation of higher corporate profits, but the stock market is not the real economy. The real economy is jobs and wages. It is not stocks. Most Americans do not have shares of stock. Most Americans have or they need jobs, and they also have or need better wages. This is the economy. Jobs continue to come back, but they're coming back slowly as this long recovery that began in 2009 continues. It's part of that recovery. But here's the problem. The jobs are not great. Do not believe the Trump propaganda machine on Fox News that talks about all the great manufacturing jobs coming back to America. That is not happening. In one of his first major announcements as president-elect, Trump pledged to save 1,100 jobs at Carrier's Indianapolis manufacturing plant. You remember that? Last week, the company laid off another 200 workers. Since Trump's pledge, Carrier has outsourced hundreds of jobs to Mexico. Now, as expected, companies are using their extra cash to buy back shares of their own stock 
in order to boost share prices for their wealthy investors. That is where the extra money is going, into stock buybacks. Stock buybacks have nothing to do with jobs and wages. It's all about the stock market. Consider pharmaceutical giant Pfizer, which will receive an estimated $5 billion in tax cuts. Huge windfall. The company, Pfizer, has announced another $10 billion stock buyback. At the same time, Pfizer executives have decided to stop research into breakthrough Alzheimer's and Parkinson's cures, causing 300 employees to lose their jobs. Folks, trickle-down economics is a cruel hoax designed to enrich the wealthy and corporations at the expense of the American people, and that's what Trump is peddling. Meanwhile, Trump and Republicans are teeing up what they call welfare reform, which is going to hurt working Americans even more. They call it welfare reform. That's what, if you listen to Trump and you listen to Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House, they're using this term. Republicans are all starting to use this term, welfare reform, because it, it polls very well, because it, it sounds good. But it's baloney. Welfare died in 1996. We no longer have a welfare program in this country. Trump and Speaker of the House Paul Ryan are going after Medicaid, Medicare, and Social Security. It's not welfare. And by the way, they're not seeking reform. They're aiming for cuts. That's different from reform. They just announced their first step allowing states to impose work requirements on Medicaid recipients. Medicaid work requirement. Sounds good. Sounds pretty good. But it makes no sense. Who ever heard of someone not working because they're getting Medicaid? In fact, it's just the opposite. Medicaid helps people get health care so they can work. If they lost a job that gave them health coverage and they have some health problem, they need Medicaid in order to get the care so they can get a new job. Imposing a work requirement is ludicrous. Besides, many Medicaid beneficiaries are children or elderly and they can't work because they're children or elderly. You want to know what's really going on here? A so-called work requirement for Medicaid would give Republican state officials more leeway to kick people off Medicaid. That's what this is really about. But even though Trumponomics isn't helping working people and gives giant tax breaks to the rich instead, even if Trump's cuts in Medicaid and other safety nets will hurt working people, at least, at least, he's a man of God, right? Or at least that's what many evangelical Christians believe, as well as Mormons. Am I right, Mitt Romney? Mitt Romney? Who I think is going to challenge... Donald Trump in the 2020 Republican primary. You heard it here first. Well, a few days ago, we learned from the Wall Street Journal that a top Trump lawyer arranged a $130,000 payment 
to a former porn star a month before the 2016 election as part of an agreement to prevent her from publicly discussing a sexual encounter with Trump. Michael Cohen, a top Trump organization attorney, arranged payment to the woman Stephanie Clifford, whose stage name is Stormy Daniels, in October 2016. So here is what I would like to know, especially from evangelical Christians who voted for Trump. Does news like this, reported by the conservative Rupert Murdoch-owned Wall Street Journal, have any effect on your opinion of or support for Donald Trump? And if not, why not? Uh, finally, let me just uh, say this. Every time I post about another outrage or talk about another crazy aspect of this Trump administration or this presidency and his enablers, many of you ask, what can I do? The answer is to do what hundreds of thousands of Americans are already doing. Join an indivisible group in your area. See www.indivisibleguide.com in order to, as the old saying goes, kick the bums out. And by the way, it's working. It's already working. A few days ago, one of the most right-wing members of Congress, Representative Daryl Issa, here from California, Republican, announced he will not seek re-election. Issa was the second Republican, California Republican last week to retire. He joins a growing list of GOP House retirements. Now, one reason for Issa's retirement is that indivisible groups in San Diego showed up at his office 49 weeks in a row with an average of 370 constituents each week to let him know what an awful job he was doing and how strong the opposition would be to his re-election. It's happening all over the country. We have an almost historic surge of Republican retirements, which will help take the big blue wave across America on Election Day, less than 10 months from now, on November 6th, 2018, replacing Trump defenders and enablers who won't stand up to Trump with a new Congress that will and will lay the groundwork for a new era of progress in America. So in the midst of all the gloom and outrage, know that America is rallying. And please get back to work to take back the House and hopefully the Senate as well. Get involved and by all means register to vote. By the way, this coming weekend on the one year anniversary of Trump's presidency, there will be women's marches. Uh, men are invited to go to www.wearemarchon.org www.wearemarchon.org to find a march near you. Oh, also upcoming, on January 30th is Trump's State of the Union message to Congress. Now, I don't understand this. Why should any member of Congress attend Trump's State of the Union address to hear Trump boast about himself for an hour or more? I mean, Trump does it every day, but can you imagine sitting there listening to this man talk about himself for an hour and a half. I mean, that's cruel and unusual punishment right there, especially when everybody knows he's been the most divisive president in modern history. A state of the union? No, he's created a state of disunion. So what members of Congress ought to do is boycott that Trump state of the union address. 
Now, in all these ways, we have to hold those accountable, not only those in power who are vociferously backing Trump, lying about his racism, minimizing his lies, apologizing and defending him, but also those in power who are saying nothing. Have those Republicans who heard Trump's shithole comments feel no sense of duty to speak out? All congressional Republicans whose silence gives quiet acquiescence to this presidency, normalizes it, legitimizes it, they need to be held accountable. All Republicans who are willing to play along because they want to keep their jobs, who don't have the courage to stand up to the closest thing we've come to tyranny in this country, they have to be held accountable. As Martin Luther King Jr. wrote, it may well be that we will have to repent in this generation not merely for the vitriolic words and the violent actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence and indifference of the good people who sit around and say, wait on time. And now for your questions. Uh, Steve Weber asks, do the retirements of top Republicans like Daryl Issa and Ed Royce foreshadow a blue wave in 2018, or will Democrats still face an uphill battle to mobilize turnout and take back Congress? Uh, Steve, you know, Democrats have an extraordinary way of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. And I am hoping against hope that the Democratic Party sees what's coming, understands all of the grassroots actions, it's not just the indivisible groups, it's every other group, and takes advantage of this huge wave of, of anger and repudiation that is growing. Uh, Jeanette Wilson asks, uh, what do you think of Oprah running for president? Uh, Jeanette, you know, when people ask me about people running for president, basically I say, there are two criteria. One, how is this person going to be as a president? Uh, and I don't know about Oprah, but, you know, my rough guesstimate is that probably one out of every 200 Americans could be a decent president. I mean, if you really sifted through and found the best of one out of every 200, you'd find somebody who really could do the job quite well. Doing the job is not that hard because you've got staff, you've got a whole set of institutions around you. I mean, if, if, if Donald Trump can even halfway get through a day, you know uh, how easy it is to actually be president. To be a good president uh, is harder, but again, uh, I think Oprah Winfrey could be. The real issue, the second criterion, more important, is can you get elected? That's harder. That's really harder. And when I analyze that, it really depends upon who the candidate is against. If Donald Trump is running in 2020, I think Oprah Winfrey would be a pretty credible candidate in terms of being big enough to take Trump on. I mean, just big enough. I, that doesn't mean I think it's a good idea for us to have celebrities as presidents or establish a precedent for celebrity presidents. I only mean that uh, she, in terms of her uh, her power, her message, her capacity to connect uh, might be able to overpower uh, the entertainer, bloviator-in-chief we now have. Uh, Deb Wilson, 
Does the special investigation end this year? And how do we get the word out about the tax disaster starting in 2019? Uh, Deb, the, uh, if you're talking about a special uh, prosecutor or a special counsel, uh, I think that Rob Mueller's investigation is likely to end this year, but nobody knows. He's done an extraordinary job of actually keeping news of that investigation completely in check. We don't know. Uh, word out about the tax disaster starting in 2019. Uh, well, I think it's not just a tax disaster starting in 2019. It's a tax disaster that is going to get worse and worse and worse because, as you know, and many Americans are starting to find out and will find out, uh, that Trump Republican tax bill, tax law, was front-loaded. The benefits come at, at the beginning and you pay later, particularly the middle class and working class, and they'll know about it. Uh, I'm sure the Democrats and a lot of us are going to make sure they know about it. Uh, Viaj Pradesh, uh, does Jeff Flake's speech comparing Trump and the GOP to Stalin and Stalin's enablers mark a turning point for the Republican anti-Trump movement? Uh, well, he hasn't given it yet. Uh, he's, he's handed out, Jeff Flake has handed out copies of the speech. He's going to give it Wednesday. Uh, and he does compare uh, some of Trump's behavior and some of what Trump is doing to Stalinism. He doesn't compare it to Hitler, but he does go so far as to say it is like Stalin. Uh, I think that's pretty clever and not inaccurate or inaccurate of Jeff Flake. Um, Jeff Flake has, has been willing to go out on a, on a limb for Republicans, as Republicans go, because he's not running again. Uh, I wish more Republicans would be as courageous as Jeff Flake to call it as it is to sound the alarm. And uh, those who aren't willing to be courageous, uh, again, I think that history will not be kind to them. Finally, uh, Susan Chen. Given Trump's abhorrent language and ignorance of immigration policy this week, do you think Democrats can pass a clean DACA bill before the upcoming deadline? And if not, what else can be done to protect our dreamers? And Susan, you're talking about the 800,000 young people who were brought here as infants and toddlers who know nothing but the United States, who have been productive members of society, who have gone to school here and gone to college here. Well, as far as I know, there were, as far as I can make a good guess, uh, there will be legislation that protects them. And the reason I say that is because uh, polls show that the vast majority of Americans think that they should be protected. Uh, even majority of Republicans think they should be protected. Uh, and Donald Trump and the Republicans are not completely inured, completely insensitive to public opinion. And so I have got to hope that at the end of this, they are protected. Um, I want to thank all of you again for tuning in, and a special thank you to Sasha Lightman, Andrew Santana, and Vashal Narayanswamy uh, for your help with this production. Uh, a special note, beginning next week, the Resistance Report will be at this time, but we are going to be shifting to Thursdays. So we'll keep you apprised of all of this, but thank you for tuning in, and keep up the good fight.
The Resistance Report is a production of Inequality Media and is hosted by me, Robert Reich, and produced by Sasha Lightman. This episode was edited by Chris Lucas with music by Nick Deicher. And please be sure to let your friends know about this new podcast. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so other people will be able to discover and make use of what we're doing here. 